Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans, and welcome to episode number 52 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is our one-year anniversary of doing our little podcast, and if you don't know what the podcast is, basically it's a weekly internet radio show. We put it up every Wednesday afternoon slash evening, talking all about USC. It goes about an hour. I'm your host, Ryan Abraham. I publish uscfootball.com. We started, like I said, one year ago, and just about every episode, we are lucky enough to have the coach Harvey Hyde with us and this week is no different coach congratulations on one year of the podcast buddy I tell you when you have a good time it goes by in a hurry and I tell you we've had a great uh, year a freshman year or a rookie year whatever depending if you're in the NFL or college or whatever and uh, it's been fun I enjoy it we haven't missed one time can you imagine that we have not missed one episode over the entire year. Pretty good, pretty good stuff. And uh, I just wanted to thank our sponsor for the segment that helps make this podcast possible, Southern California Tickets, sctickets.com. If you're a USC fan, they got SC in the name there. So 1-800-888-7287. If you need tickets for concerts, sporting events, theater, all that, you can go to sctickets.com. And as always, if you have any questions or comments for us, we will have a user question for Coach today, and we'll have some other ones later in the show for Bruce Feldman of ESPN, he's going to join us. But if you have any questions or comments, you can email us at podcast at uscfootball.com. And like I mentioned, after the first segment of Coach Harvey High, we do have an exciting little roundtable set up. We did a roundtable last week that worked really well. We're going to have Gerard Martinez, the uscfootball.com recruiting analyst, joined with Bruce Feldman, who will give us more of a – we'll get the local flavor from Gerard, and we'll get more of a national recruiting flavor from Bruce Feldman. He knows a lot about recruiting. He wrote that book, Meat Market, where he followed Coach Orgeron at Old Miss all around there. And you can see the recruits that Orgeron brought in gave them a lot of success at Old Miss and stuff this year. So, Coach, just wanted to check again and thank you for doing a year of the podcast with us. It's been a lot of fun. And I, I don't know, I mean, did you even know what a podcast was before I gave you a call? Now, do you have to embarrass me on the air? <laughs> <laughs> well, the th- no, I, I didn't. I, I really didn't, and I'm just figuring it out now. Really, uh, why do you call it that? It, I, isn't this like a, a regular show? Why does we have that name? Well, it came, I, that to I, Coach, uh, I didn't want to insult you there. I really didn't know. I mean, I kind of knew what a podcast was, but I don't think I'd ever even listened to one when I felt like we should start one. And I'll give you kind of the, we'll kind of go through the story of what that is. But the podcast basically comes from your iPod, so the iPod from Apple. Um, you, know, you could download these on iTunes. You could download podcasts. So they call them these little radio shows. They call them, you know, podcasts because so, it would go it would go to your iPod and and any users. There's some users out there right now that they can download this podcast from iTunes. It goes directly to their iPod when they sync it up with their computer, and then they'll take their iPod to the gym or go for a walk or whatever, and they can listen to us while they're working out or or doing whatever. So that, I think that's where the original name podcast came from, and it's kind of expanded from there. I understand. So for everyone that's listening right now, when you're exercising or you're walking, we want to thank you uh, for uh, taking the time to uh, help us uh, 
you know, get this done. And we want to, hey, listen, I want to thank everybody who's been, uh, you know, checking in with us. Our numbers are really great. And without them, it doesn't happen, Ryan. And I want to thank everybody. Yeah, definitely. Thanks, everyone. We've more than doubled our our listenership or downloadedness over the past year. So that's great. I think it's going to keep growing. And I, I guess a little history, Coach, I don't even know if you know this, but um, Coach Harvey Hyde, you can listen to him on different USC broadcasts. He does a Trojan Talk radio show in, in Las Vegas talking about USC football. He does that on a weekly basis. Can you imagine that Las Vegas has a weekly USC radio show and Los Angeles doesn't? That's a little strange, but that's kind of the reason why I started this because both Coach and I do some local USC radio, but there's just not that much of it. I mean, LA is definitely a pro town, uh, but you don't have LA radio talking about USC spring football or recruiting or anything like that. Like they'll mention it on signing day, but there's just not that much going on where if you go to Lincoln, Nebraska or, you know, uh, Norman, Oklahoma, I mean, they're talking Nebraska or Oklahoma football all year round. And yes, there's not that much else to talk about, but during important stretches, what, you know, recruiting season and stuff like that, you would think that some of the LA radio would, would, would do that. And coach, they really don't for the most part. No, they don't. And uh, the show I do uh, in Las Vegas is called USC Trojan Talk, and we cover every sport. So when it's recruiting time, we talk recruiting. When it's spring ball, we talk spring ball. When it's basketball, we talk basketball. We have Coach Floyd on. Or or this uh, Thursday night, uh, we have uh, Coach Ali on, the soccer coach. Uh, We have every, every sport is on for at least an hour a year which means we try to let everybody know about the coach, about the players, about what they go through, uh, how they finish, what, what, how many scholarships, how, how long they've been there. I mean, it is great. Women's basketball, men's basketball, soccer, volleyball, water polo. We cover every single sport. And this uh, show goes 10 months of the year. We started, uh, like I think we started August the 13th this year, and we'll finish up. May the 28th, and then we come back in August again, a couple of weeks before the first football game, and we do the show again. And, and I'll tell you, this show really started with Mike Garrett being on it. And Mike says, you know, why don't we have this show go year-round? And I said, what are you talking about, uh, Mike? And he said, we have a lot of people who live in Las Vegas who graduated from USC. And we and the show is also on the Internet. You can pick it up there. and." And we want to highlight all of our sports at USC because it's really impossible. If you listen to L.A. radio, you don't hear many stations talking about the water polo team at USC or the golf team at USC. Both teams are one, two, or three in the country right now. You don't hear anybody talking about that or or talking with the coach. You don't hear any – you hear the major things, Dodgers, Dodgers. uh, you hear about the Lakers. You hear about whatever's going on at that time, and the majority of the shows just repeat themselves. So, you know, I would love to see in Los Angeles uh, a show such as this. And, uh, you know, uh, I wouldn't mind hosting this show because I know all the coaches and everything else. But, you know, what people can do, too, Ryan, is you've been strong enough uh, as far as understanding the value of this, and you carry these shows on your uscfootball.com year-round, and people can get them. Yeah, certainly, Coach. And we, we put a link to your latest show up there, and I'm trying to get an archive of some of the older shows we have, too, to your USC Trojan Talk that goes in Las Vegas. And I think that that's the whole reason. I mean, that's kind of why the history of this, because we couldn't get it anywhere. 
you couldn't get that USC talk. And I figured, well, why don't we start our own? And it, you know, it's hard to get on, you know, you could lease time and stuff like that to get on local radio. And I thought I'd try this, you know, relatively new technology. I mean, it's been around for a few years, but, and I thought, you know, maybe we'll do that. There wasn't a USC football podcast out there. And uh, so I thought, well, let's try it out. I never had any experience doing, I mean, I've been on radio and I've done some TV, but I've never had any podcasting experience. So I bought a little mixer board, a couple of microphones, some software, and uh, boom, we started. I came up to Burger Continental one year ago and we did a show. Actually, that was from a little mini recorder. We recorded that one. So that was our, our right. humble beginnings. But we started that and it's kind of grown ever since. We've had some big guests all year long and, you know, big names in college football and we'll continue to do that. But that, that's kind of the history why this whole came about because there you, you couldn't get this kind of stuff year round like you said and, and I really wanted to bring that to the Trojan fans out there if you want to hear some more about USC each and every week you can do that now and you, you don't have to be in LA to do it you don't have to be on local radio or in Las Vegas you can listen to it on the internet you can anywhere in the world you're exactly right I tell you, we have players some of the ex-players Sam Cunningham we Paul McDonald Roy Foster I mean, we have all of the ex-players come on and talk about their experiences at USC, their biggest game at USC, all of this. What are you doing now? And and books they're part of, and and what the, and it just I enjoy doing it. And I, I've had an opportunity through this to really get to know the athletic department. I mean, we even have uh, the uh, academic advisors on, the equipment man on. We talk about preparing for a trip, like if you're going to Notre Dame, or if you're going to Oregon, how, what do you take? How do you know what to take? When do you start packing? I mean, this is stuff that's behind the scenes that people really don't know what happens in the locker room or what happens before the game, what time these equipment guys get to the stadium to put out the gear, and what does the locker room really look like when a player gets there. So, you know, I enjoy doing it, and uh, also, Ryan, I want you to know I really enjoy doing this with you, this segment every week. I have a lot of fun. You're a great guy, and I love sharing uh, whatever we want to talk about every week with you and give you. It's just my opinion. No, Coach, I appreciate that, and we love having you on. It's great to get especially you know, a former coach's opinion and someone that's so close to the program now doing all the radio and doing talk about USC every week like you do. And like I said, the, our new website is peristylepodcast.com. So you can always you can play the, the podcast there every week or you can download it there, the MP3 file, or if you have iTunes or any RSS reader, you can get all the links to that are on peristylepodcast.com. And you can get Harvey Hyde's latest show. We will put that up on peristylepodcast.com as well. We'll hopefully get an archive up of some of the older shows, but you can at least get the latest one. And I think I'm on the latest one. Coach, I was up with you there last week, but everyone, you can check that out. Um, and Coach, we do have a question for you today. Is that all right? Good. All right, Good. here's a user Good. question from TD. Uh, he wanted to know, and this is about the components of a play call. So if you ever hear commercials or anything where they kind of make fun of play calls or they have microphones in the huddles, there's like five different, you know, numbers and 50 different words and it's really kind of confusing uh, but he wanted to know when you you know when you sound when you listen to it on tv it does sound very complicated could you give us a sample play call and how would that play be changed at the line of scrimmage if the qb sees something strange and wants to call an audible all right well there's several different ways of doing it first of all you have to distinguish everyone has to listen first of all with if whether which way you want the strength of your formation so you normally always say right or left or you give it a color, white and black. Or you have to determine, first of all, what formation or the strength of your formation that you want to set this formation up with. So, you know, I used to say right or left. The reason why 
I didn't want someone have to have to learn that that left meant white. So it was easier for me to say left. Okay, we're going the left. Okay, left. That means the tight end goes left, or the strong side goes left, or whatever you 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 have called. Then the the next thing after saying which way you want to you want this formation set, you have to set the formation. So you have you have different ways of doing that by giving it a color or a number. Or, or, and a lot of people like to use the formation call strong, I, weak, uh, which means where the backs could be, or single, so that you know exactly what you, what you, where you're setting your backs. Now, I like to call a formation, but I also used to call it like uh, uh, 18, which meant it was an I, the one hole, or uh, 25, which means that the back was over the five hole. Or the, if the even numbers are to the right, then you would say 24, which would mean the, the tailback would be over the strong uh, tackle side. So you have to be able to set your right or left formation. You have to be able to set that formation on what formation you want to be in. And now if you want to alter that form, formation, then you have to say either shift or you have to say a motion. So you have to say tailback uh uh, tailback uh, right or tailback, uh, uh, there's different turns, tailback uh, fly right or tailback in motion or motion left or, or, or whoever you want to put in motion, you give his, his number or his name, whatever you call him, um, which way you want him to go. And then you also could put it together and, and give a number of where how far you want him to be or you can teach it on the play that's called in the huddle, on where you want him when that ball is snapped. So it, 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 there's a lot of things that you have to tell your players, but it isn't a lot because it only, each term really just tells one player what's going on. Then, of course, what used to be really easy, you have to have whole numbering. You used to have the even to the right and the odd numbers to the left. Now, you used to flip-flop the offensive lines a lot, so you only had to learn half as many plays. Because if you flopped your offensive line, the, the whole numbers would go with you. So that would mean if you, if you ran a 28, right 28, right eye 28 sweep on two, ready to go. All right, that would mean the play is going to the right and you're running 28 sweep, the two back to the eight hole. You could run that same play by saying left eye, 28 sweep. Well, you, the, the, now the eight hole is to the left side. But now what they have done, if you notice, they've changed the stances of the offensive linemen because they feel as though the left hand down on the left side of the line gives a better advantage for pass blocking for offensive linemen. And you don't see the flopping of the lines as you used to see, the right hand down on the right side uh, of the offensive line. So now you have the odd to the left in most cases, and even to the right. So you really have to teach twice as many plays because these guys used to only see one defense on one side when they were strong side and weak side. But now the offensive line sees a weak side defense and a strong side defense, depending if the strength is to their side of the line of scrimmage. So it's twice as much to learn now. But the, the way you audibleize out is you come out and you have a live color normally. And you come out and you say your, uh, your live color is red. So if I say any other color, green 28, green 28, that means the play that you've called in the huddle, you're going to continue to run. But if you come out and you say red 
red 19, red 19, or red 25, red 25. Now you're alerting the team that we have canceled the play 18, and we're now running the live play that I just called. Now the snap count is still is on the same. It's on two. But remember, you can never audibleize if you're going on the first sound. Because if you're going on sound, that means you run the line of scrimmage, you get down, and you say, Hut! and away you go. Or you say, red, and away you go. So you, whenever you're in an audible situation and you need to audibleize, you always have to call it on two or three so that, so that you're able to be able to do that. And I apologize for my dog in the background. He's calling it but, audible, or she's calling it yeah, audible. Yeah, he's calling it audibleizing, <laughs> audibleizing over there for me. So, you know, and then you also, if you want to call a play on the line of scrimmage, all you do is set the formation in the huddle. You say, right, strong right, check with me. All right, you break the huddle, you go to the line of scrimmage, and everybody knows that the quarterback has set the formation to see what the defense is going to do. Then he's told him, check with me. Then he says, green, 92, green, 92. Now he's not using the live color, but they know it makes no difference what the color is. But they didn't have a call. They didn't have a play until they heard the play on the line of scrimmage because they now have called it to what the defense has done. And whenever you have a check with me, it is always on the same snap. So it would probably always be on one because you don't want to put the clock down to where you're running out of time, so you, that extra hut, hut, hut could cost you a delay of game. So you always go on one. So you can check with me, check with me, ready, break. And you go to the huddle, you've got your formation set, you see what play you want to run, you say green 92, green 92, hut, and the ball snapped and you're running your play. So it might sound uh, uh, confusing, but when you don't have to, every everything he says, every single player doesn't have to hear. All they have to hear is what you're telling that individual to do. Okay, that makes sense, Coach. Hopefully, TD, that'll, that helps you out a little bit. But, yeah, it can, it, does, it can sound confusing when you put it all together. I guess for you young players out there, if you want to play quarterback, get ready because there's some complicated stuff you got to do. Oh, there is. It is. <laughs> the quarterback is a very difficult position, especially – with all the disguising and things that are going on now, it's unbelievable. Well, thanks, TD, for the question. And if uh, anyone else, he also said this is the most interesting thing he listens to every week. So thank you for that. Um, anyone else, if you have questions, you can always email us, podcast at uscfootball.com. Uh, Coach, you know, kind of uh, winding down from signing day, you know, everyone had a chance to kind of digest what was going on. We had a big signing day show last week. Uh, you know, you get a week to kind of settle in. And, you know, you know where there's holes in the, in the team right now obviously linebackers and stuff. And yeah, where, where do you think coach that, uh, you know, some of these, some of the members of the class are going to have the biggest impact this year. I mean, there's definitely looked like some players down the road, but do you think, you know, name a few of these guys you think they're right now can come in and kind of help right away with this team. Well, all of them hope they can come in and, and play right away, but there's some obviously that are in their best interest. I'm telling you in their best interest is the red shirt because you get another, year of experience you get another year of academics out of the way you're definitely going to graduate and so on you mature and so on especially the players that are coming in the fall now i think that 
they, the great quarterback battle, I, I think it's going to be really, really tremendous this spring. If you're a football fan, get out and watch the battle of quarterback there at USC with Barkley, Matt Barkley and Aaron Corp and Matt uh, uh, Mustaine. I mean, this, how can it get any better than that? I think this spring is going to be so competitive out there with the quarterbacks. And let's don't forget Garrett Green. I'm going to tell you, that kid's a good football player. Hey, Coach, I was just out there yesterday. They're doing their winter throwing session. Sorry to interrupt there, but... Um... Yeah, we filmed. We'll have some stuff up on uscfootball.com today where you can see Mustaine wasn't out there. I think he had class, but they, you know, Aaron Corp, Garrett Green, and Mitch and uh, and Matt Barkley were all throwing the ball around. We got video of all of it, so you can check out what their progress is doing. They're just kind of working on their timing and stuff. We'll talk about this at a different show, but they're doing their players-only workouts. Coaches can't be there, so they're out there throwing around. And there's, Matt Barkley looked really good out there, so you can check out the video on uscfootball.com if you want to see that. So I would say... He definitely could make an impact. Now, how, even if he doesn't start, he's going to motivate the other two to even work harder. So when you have three great players at one position, automatically you're going to get better just from the competition. So I think Barkley's going to be a big influence on making Corp a better football player and Mustaine a better football player. And I really believe Barkley has the confidence that if he is the best, he really feels he'll have a shot at playing. So this is going to be a real interesting spring, and I'm not sure if Coach Carroll will name a starter in the spring. He normally doesn't do that, but I think after a week or two of fall camp, he will. But I think the quarterback position is going to be a lot of competition and a lot of fun to watch. So I think Barkley really does uh, play a big part of this incoming class since he, too, is already enrolled, and I think that's really, really important. Now, there are some great athletes that are coming in, but there are some that need to learn the game a little bit more, put on a little weight, uh, learn their techniques a little bit better, and so on. And one, of course, is James Boyd. I, I think this kid is a great athlete, just a great athlete. I, I think he'll probably redshirt, and, and maybe his sophomore year be could be really an impact type of football player for USC. We'll have to see what happens with him. I was disappointed when Jake Harfman, the JC kicker from Mount San Antonio, just informed or they found out out academic, he couldn't come in this spring. I, I really think it was important that he could come in and be a part of spring practice as far as the kicking game is concerned. They have a special teams coach now. And, you know, I think it's really going to set back SC as far as now finding out who their best kicker is as far as for this coming year. With a special teams coach, he could have worked with him, could have got a lot done with him, could have taught him a lot, and, and they could have competed against each other, the kickers and so on. So, you know, I think that's very disappointing that he didn't qualify to come in. I, I, uh, I don't know how that happened, but... Everyone assumed that he would come in. Maybe you know more about that. But I think that's going to hurt as far as the Springs concerned. Now, Kennard, the great defensive end from Phoenix, Arizona, I think this kid has the potential. I'm not going to tell you he's going to start because he's not coming in until the fall. But he is really going to push if he's 100%. He's going to push Hartman. He's going to push Jackson. I understand they might move Perry inside. I tell you, for a starting position. So I think this is going to be an impact player. I really believe that he will have that opportunity to play, maybe not right away, 
but he's big, he's fast, he's strong. He was a five-star, 257 pounds. He'll put the rush on a guy. So I think he could be an impact player his first year. I really believe that. Starling, I think Starling could be an impact player from Tallahassee, Florida. I mean, uh, a late commit, but a great athlete. Now, a guy, too, that a lot of people don't know a lot about is Frankie Telfort. Now, I'm going to tell you, this kid can fly. And this kid is going to be a great player and I believe could see a lot of playing time this next year. He's very intelligent. I believe he's pre-med. Correct me if I'm wrong. And I'll tell you, this kid can fly. He might be the fastest linebacker to play for Pete Carroll at USC so far. He's a Matt Goodigrud, if I pronounce Goodigrud's name correctly. He's, he's a faster that type of player. He'll be everywhere. He's explosive. So, you know, he may not redshirt. He may play right away on the special teams and and get a shot at, at the, the weak side linebacker. I don't think they'll play him in the secondary. He's got that type of speed, but they got so many great secondary players. So I think he'll be real, real uh, important. I think both offense linemen will get a lot of experience, but I would hope to see them redshirt. Graft and, and Martinez. I mean, both are great players, but I think the offensive line is solid, and, and I'd like to see them get a lot of reps in practice and go against the great defensive players they do and mature so they don't have everybody in the same class and they've got two great players for the following year. Uh, the J.C. kid, the defensive tackle from uh, Mount, San, Mount uh, San Antonio, he can't come either. If you get, you're going to have to help me with his name. Pronounce his name. Hebron Fangupo. Well, thank <laughs> he's, you. He's a stud. Yeah, I, I, he's a stud. I, he could make an impact for sure. He could. I've watched him play. I went to the first game. I wanted to see him play last year after he committed. I saw him against Pasadena City College. He's built uh, low to the ground. He's 330 pounds. He, he's a plug. He's a, he's a, and he gets. He plays low to the ground. Uh, uh, I I haven't. I have. I had a tough time judging his speed. I, you know, he's not a four seven guy or four eight guy. He's probably a five flat guy. Uh, but he's going to have to learn how to play at a def, different tempo. Uh, when you're better in community college or junior college, you don't have to play every play hard. So coming in. To a program like USC, you've got to play hard every down in practice. And, you know, this is where Griffin had a problem because you didn't have to do that in high school. You got by with a half-hearted effort. you got to play hard every single down, and you can't be taught that. It's got to be something that you learn to do. And in transferring in, and he couldn't come in in the spring, I wish he would have been there in the spring because he really needed to learn that. So he, he might be not as far as long, and I think guys like Casey and Armstead and these other guys are going to be a step ahead of him, but they've had to learn to do that last year as freshmen at USC at the tackles positions. So I think he was planning on being an impact player. Uh, a lot of the other players, Patrick Hall's a great athlete. Uh, I think uh, he will be somewhere on the field. Uh, special teams somewhere, I don't know where. I, I'm not sure, but he is really a tremendous athlete. Uh, as far as the other great athletes that came in, most of them uh, are in the secondary type of situation. And really in the secondary, USC is, 
is really loaded. I, I would think it's the, as you see the preseason magazines come out, I can't see another university in the country that has a stronger class than the total class of secondary players in the country, especially with Mays coming back and Pinker getting another year and Wright coming back and all of the great players that are back there. So, uh, yeah, we, I, Coach, I, we got to see Mays and uh, and Sharice Wright out on the practice field yesterday. and it, Mays almost looked like he shouldn't have been there. He's, he's just that big and stuff. But you're right. I mean, they could definitely be the, the best secondary in the country, and I, I think they'll probably be ranked there when those come out. But, hey, unfortunately, we, uh, we have run out of time, Coach. I'm, I'm just really getting sad. warmed up. I know. It's, it's terrible. I mean, it goes by really quick. We almost went a half hour in this segment. So, uh, well, you know, that's what happens when you enjoy what you're doing, you I know? Do. Well, well, we got plenty of time, to be, you know, a few more weeks at least before uh, spring football, so we'll get to break all that down. But thanks again for joining us, and thanks for being a part of the podcast for one year. And thank you very much, and Ryan. I really appreciate it, and I really appreciate Southern California Ticket Service for the sponsorship of this segment. Coming up, we have Gerard Martinez of USCFootball.com and Bruce Feldman from ESPN. We're going to talk all about recruiting, so stay tuned for that. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287, 1-800-888-7287, that's 1-800-888-7287, or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Abraham, publisher of uscfootball.com. And as promised, we have another mini roundtable this session. Last week, we did one with uh, the entire uscfootball.com staff. Went over really well, so we're going to do that again. But this time, we have Gerard Martinez, uscfootball.com recruiting analyst, and from ESPN fame, Bruce Feldman, the college football guru. Guys, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Good to be here. Thank you very much. Excellent. And Bruce, uh, we just want to plug, plug your book here a little bit. I mean, we're going to talk a lot of college football recruiting in this segment, and I, th- I think a lot of you guys have heard from Gerard before. Bruce has been on the podcast several times, but he wrote an excellent book, if you like the recruiting process, called Meat Market. He was in the, the Old Miss War Rooms with Coach Orgeron for a whole year, writing all about the process, and everybody seemed to uh, enjoy that insight into college football. So where can people uh, check out that book, Bruce? Uh, the easiest way to get it is just to go to search for Meat Market on uh, Amazon.com, or they can go to my website, uh, BruceFeldman.com. It's available either place, and now you can just get it on at paperback, or you can probably go into a lot of, you know, uh, Borders or Barnes and Noble should have it, but Amazon.com, you can get it at a reduced rate. All right, so let's uh, talk some uh, football recruiting. And I guess one guy, both of you guys can comment on the uh, second year in a row, the number one player in the country, according to Rivals.com, has delayed his decision until after signing day. Uh, we're talking about Bryce Brown out of Wichita, Kansas, the number one player in the country. He's a running back. Uh, he's actually currently committed to the University of Miami, uh, where his brother plays. And, um, Gerard, I guess we'll maybe get your thoughts on this first. Uh, you know, the rumors were, and we talked about this in the war room a little bit, is a, a really good chance he was going to come out for a visit to USC. What's, uh, what's on the table for that? 
Well, there's still a good chance that he visits USC last. Uh, this weekend he's actually going to go to Tennessee. And interestingly, this was the weekend that was talked about being the USC visit weekend. So now he's decided that he wants to take a visit to Tennessee. Um, his comments about Tennessee weren't uh, weren't great, and kind of surprising that he's actually going to go there on an official visit. Uh, he said, you know, I think Tennessee wants to do some great things, and, um, you know, they have some high hopes, but I don't think they have the players to do it at this point. And he doesn't necessarily sound real patient with uh, waiting around <laughs> for them to get the players to surround him so uh, they can be a championship-level team. So, he did have some interesting things to say about each school. Um, you know, Oregon, uh, I think in the last update that Jeremy Crabtree did, definitely seemed like the school he was leaning towards kind of said that, you know, I, when I go to sleep at night, the school I think about is Oregon, and it just feels like a good fit, and it feels like, you know, that's where I want to go. He's really tight with Chip Kelly. Um, but I think with Oregon, the thing that's really kind of making him hesitate is the offense. He doesn't really want to play in the spread offense. He doesn't want to play in the pistol. He wants to play in a pro-style offense, and that's really what Miami was always uh, very attractive for him. And USC would be attractive for him, too, because they run a very pro-style offense. And it's pretty much run first, and it's physical, and it's two tight ends, or it's uh, I-formation type stuff, and that's the kind of running back he is. He's not a scat back. So, um, you know, Miami, interestingly, who still has his commitment technically, uh, he talked a little bit about the, the new offensive coordinator there, uh, Whipple, who came in and uh, from the Philadelphia Eagles and, and didn't really have a lot of shining things to say about him either in terms of uh, – I guess he felt like he wasn't 100% sure that it was going to be the real type of offense, the real pro offense he was looking for. Obviously, in name, it's a pro offense because he comes from the Philadelphia Eagles, but um, I think that uh, it's maybe a little bit too pass-heavy for him. He seemed uh, skeptical about that. So, you know, USC's still in there, said some great things about USC, says he really loves Pete Carroll, loves the intensity, loves that they have great players that can play around him. And uh, the question mark, though, is, is just, you know, the depth chart at USC and, you know, when, when is Bryce Brown? I'm really going to be able to come in and play and make an impact at USC. You have to think that it's going to be down the road, and is he going to be patient enough to uh, to wait for that? Yeah, Bruce, and uh, you know you you've got a lot of ties, obviously, the University of Miami, and his brother's playing there right now, currently committed there. What what are the people in Miami saying about this, and what's going on in that? I think there's some split camps about Bryce Brown and his situation. There's been a lot, and I'm sure a lot of your your users know all about this situation with his mentor, Brian Butler, it's very murky at best. You know, he has this mentor slash, you know, handler agent guy who is around. And I think a lot of people are uncomfortable with it. There's some been some drama with his recruitment. A lot of people are saying, well, this isn't like Terrell Pryor, where he was a basketball player who dragged on his recruitment because he was still taking visits and basketball conflicted. Bryce Brown has already graduated high school. Why is this kind of you know, dragged into a later time is, and what that leads to is, is this guy going to be a prima donna? Is he going to be a a pain in the butt for you? Think he's bigger than the program. Are you gonna have to deal with, with Brian Butler too? And I think that has made people sensitive to what are you bringing in? And is he worth the headache? Now I've talked to some other coaches who are recruiting him who say it's not him. It's part of this problem is that it's the, it's, the whole environment that everyone else has created with, you know, putting your hat on or picking the right hat or all these press conferences. And you can't really fault the kid for getting sucked into it. Right or wrong, I think you're going to deal with that. Now, to follow up on what Gerard said a little, as far as the Oregon thing, there's a weird uh, little offshoot that may play into this too. LeGarrett Blunt, who had a great first year junior college running back at Oregon, is now suspended indefinitely 
basically, I think for not, you know, following through with some of his attention to detail, whether it's going to meetings, being on time for class, that kind of thing. And I would assume he'll be back in time for spring football. But I wonder what's going going through, you know, his head, but also Bryce Brown's head to think, wow, I could be the guy. Because if you go to USC, you're dealing with Joe McKnight and three other running backs. And, and you know that there's been a lot of, you know, t- two and three back sets right now in terms of getting into the rotation. You go to Miami, uh, Greg Cooper may not be an All-American, but he's an established starter. Javaris James, if you can ever stay healthy, he's going to get work. I mean, there's and they signed two other big-time backs. So I think it's it's going to be a unique situation for him to go into. I'd always heard rumbers, rumbles watch out for – Kansas State and Bill Snyder because he has such a relationship with uh, with Brian Butler that maybe he comes in and all of a sudden K-State is Bryce Brown's program. And I think that that's something that you never know what kind of wild card could come out of this because so much of it is has been very murky at best as it's played out. Gerard, yeah, the uh, I mean, I was going to mention the blunt thing. That's a really good point. You know, if you, if you lose your starting tailback, I guess – you have a depth chart of you know one or two maybe that you know, guys that aren't established as opposed to someplace like Miami and USC where you got a lot more guys. Hey, just to just to follow up on the on the Blunt and the Oregon thing. I mean, Blunt almost went to Florida State last year at a junior college. Was a big recruit, and the thing that really ultimately sold him on Oregon was statistically how well they run the football. And I think that whether the offensive system is 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 different or unique, and it's not as as Gerard said you know, two backs and it's a pounded style. They they do put up some big-time running yards, and I think that may be something that Oregon's going to do a really good job of selling Bryce Brown and saying, look at the numbers of us compared to Miami or of us compared to other teams, how committed we are to running the football. And, Gerard, we, uh, we put that AMP story up from Jeremy Crabtree on the front page of uscfootball.com. You can see a lot of highlights of Bryce Brown running, uh, Bryce Brown running 5'11", uh, 2'11", or something like that. Uh, one of the things they did ask him about Kansas State, the you know the in-state school, he, you know just the way he answered the question didn't sound like he was all that into it. No, I, I think that uh, uh, Prince, the the head coach there, uh, is it Ron Prince? I think uh, was kind of the guy that really had a really good relationship with Brian Butler and had a really good relationship with uh, with just a lot of the players in Wichita, and that was really an attraction. Um, according to them, um, early in the process, and now it's kind of like it's the in-state school, and they definitely want to be able to kind of uh, you know show their respect a little bit um, because there's going to be a lot of kids in that area uh, that Brian Butler has that that may end up at Kansas State. So they don't definitely want to burn any bridges there um, with the new coaching staff. Um, you know, the Brian Butler situation is very intriguing um, because it's it's kind of a new wave. Uh, of of what's kind of going on with high school football at this point because uh, you have a lot of this in basketball with AAU coaches and now you're starting to see with football you have a lot of trainers slash mentors that are kind of handling the recruiting process for kids and you know giving them advice and handling the coaches and handling the amount of pressure that comes along with it but then there are issues that that you have like this one where you have miscommunications. I mean, Brian Butler at one point said that uh, you know Bryce uh, Bryce Brown was going to go to the CFL. Well, in this latest update, you know Bryce said that that's that's not going to happen. <laughs> that's my my mom and dad don't even know what the CFL is, and so that was you know Brian Butler kind of speaking out of turn a little bit earlier in the process with Arthur Brown. Uh, there was a lot of talk coming from him that Arthur Brown was unhappy at Miami. He wanted to leave Miami. Now I've heard different. 
um, different stories about that. I've heard from some people that he actually really is unhappy and he really wants out. And I've heard from Brian Butler kind of uh, in, a, in, a, in a recant statement say to me down at the Army All-American Bowl that, uh, you know, Arthur is really happy. He's 100 percent, you know, Miami. He's going to graduate from Miami, no problem. So, I mean, it is tough. There's a communication gap between, you know, what's really going on with Bryce and then what is Brian Butler saying. Um, now, with, uh, with, the, with Oregon, uh, Bruce is right. I mean, they have done a great job at still selling the offense in terms of his production rushing yards. Because when I got on the phone, I talked to Brian Butler. Um, he was talking about how great they, they've done and, and, his, uh, and Chip Kelly's kind of his, uh, you know, his pedigree with running the ball and said, you know, they, they've had like a bunch of first-round picks at running back. Uh, I mean, they got, you know, Jonathan Stewart and, 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 and I said, yeah, who else? <laughs> and, but, but, it, but you know what, that doesn't matter, you know, who is being drafted and, and what guys they've had that have been successful. Not as important as the, the perception that the offense does run the ball well and they've had a lot of successful running backs. And at this point, it definitely seems like, they have that perception. Brown has that perception. Butler has that perception. And that's helping selling them on Oregon big time. Yeah, Gerard, I'm curious. Just You deal with a lot of, a lot of coaches and, and different people in recruiting. Uh, to me, Brian Butler is one of those guys you, I almost take everything. Because I had talked to him for a while about, two, about three weeks ago where I just didn't believe almost anything he was saying. That it's it, it, here's a guy who seems like he is just kind of throwing things out left and right. And and it's almost like you see a lot of these stories came out. The New York Times did a big story on him. Um, I, know, I think there's other stories in the works about him where it definitely, I, I, I felt like he's almost saying anything and he's he's constantly in spin mode. Did you get that? Do you get that feeling when you dealt with him down in Texas? Oh, there's definitely, I mean, well, I've talked to him, I don't know how many times, and he's always been real gracious with this time. And he, and he has at least given us some information as to what's going on with the recruiting process, process, whether it was with Arthur or it's been with Bryce. And, you know, if, if those guys don't want to talk to the media and they don't want to have uh, the direct contact with, with guys like myself, then that's okay. You know, I mean, I'd rather have some information than no information. But, yeah, definitely Brian is definitely uh, a little bit of a PR guy, and he's going to spin and he's going to kind of give you – um, a very vague general idea of what's going on. And, and you know, basically it's like, okay, where is, when is he visiting this school? Uh, you know, has he limited his number of schools? You're looking for basic facts. Uh, you're not going to get a lot of detail, a lot of scoop or insight to what's really going on with their recruitment. Um, and I think, you know, that may be part of the reason why they, they feel comfortable with him. Now, obviously, I think when you have situations where he's talking about, you know, uh, Bryce going to the CFL and that complete that turns out to be completely untrue, and the other part about, you know, Arthur wanting to transfer from Miami, that's when you start to have conflicts because obviously it's going to cause more problems for Bryce and Arthur with that misinformation out there than if, you know, nobody would have said anything. So, uh, yeah, no, he's, he's definitely got a little bit of a spin, and there's definitely um, a generalization to what's going on, and you're never going to go, oh, well, you know what, I feel like I really understand all the ins and outs of Bryce uh, Brown's recruitment now, now that I've talked to Brian Butler. That's not necessarily going to happen. Um, that's uh, that's But, again, that might be kind of – you know, his job <laughs> is to make things murky. I, I'm just curious as, as, you know, an outsider a little to this, and even I'll, I'll throw it to Ryan, if you had, you know, you guys are as close to, to being around the program for, for a lot of years now. 
the idea of having a guy in here, I mean, I, I haven't seen too much of a, a bigger than the program as, aspect. When I first moved out to Los Angeles, the one thing that struck me the first time I was really around USC, I think it was Mike Williams's second year. And I remember seeing him at the Galen, the dining hall, not the, not the basketball arena. And it was him. And there was another guy. I think it was probably Lindo White, who I, I kind of noticed this about. And I felt like if these two guys were at other programs, they might have been a little bit more problematic because just their personalities were could be kind of aggressive or abrasive a little bit or they had big personalities. And, you know, to Pete Carroll's credit and at least to the staff's credit, they, for the most part, these guys were pretty well fit in, at least for the most part. And I wonder if you bring on a guy, and again, I don't want to throw all this on Bryce Brown because some of it is is what, what you're getting from Brian Butler and what you're getting from the situation around Brian Butler. But do you ever wonder about, is this guy an ideal fit to bring into this situation where you get a, a big-time prima donna where they're causing problems or it's it's not well-received inside you know the locker room or anything like that? I mean, I don't know if Brian has a, has a sense on that. Just, but you don't see that at USC. At least I've not seen a lot of guys. I know maybe Everson Griffin struggled to fit in at first, but it it seems to fade away. I never see that, you know, here. I've seen it at other programs. I haven't seen it at USC. Yeah, they seem to be able to incorporate the players and their egos really well. I think the the I mean, Gerard, maybe you can comment on this as well. The the questions that might come up in the coaching staff is with the handlers and st- with still that Reggie Bush stuff kind of hanging out there, and they're waiting to see what happens and. I mean, that's where I think there would be the biggest issue with if they felt that there was someone that was too of, too much of an AAU type of you know basketball coach there that in this football world. And I think we're going to see more and more of that creeping up, like you guys said. That's where I would think the biggest concern would be. With Gerard, what do you think? Yes and no. Yes, because uh, it is an issue because you're always going to have someone who's um, they're they're constantly. In the in the mix of you know how much playing time is he getting, constant phone calls going to the coaches, uh, maybe someone who back in Wichita may pop up in the news and say something about the team or leak some information that they don't that USC doesn't want out there and kind of a little bit of that you know tit for tat kind of thing. Well, he's not playing, so you know we're going to have somebody back in Wichita announce a statement uh, that uh, you know the running back situation and the running backs none of them are really happy at USC and that's the truth of the matter and you know CJ Gable he's about to transfer that kind of thing that can go on but the truth of the matter is they've had that with parents too um, you know obviously with Dexter Hazleton yeah, but, uh... that was an issue where I mean you know he's not technically a handler he's a, he's a parent and he's been a guy that's been quoted multiple times in newspaper articles and whatnot. And so, I mean, I think USC kind of knows how to deal with that. And the fact is that Bryce would be getting, uh, I mean, he would be away from, from Brian Butler and from, you know, the whole situation there in Wichita and would be out here by himself in a, in a, in a, in a atmosphere, an environment that everything is kind of intensified tenfold. And I, I don't, it, it seems to kind of, um, you know, there's a little bit more, uh, um, what's the word I'm, I like to use for it? Um, desensitized a little bit to, you know, the egos. It's like everybody, you know, at USC kind of has an ego. Everybody's a five-star guy, so you kind of get into the middle of it, and it's like I think some of these guys are humbled a little bit by it. And so it kind of it melts together a little more. And I, I think that with uh, the Brian Butler situation, Brian Butler, he actually is involved with a lot of kids in Wichita. I mean, he's in, he has – um, you know, a company there that that trains 
uh, probably 20, 30 different guys at one time um, in Wichita area. So he's going to have guys next year, too, and the year after. And obviously the Browns have been the biggest guys he's ever uh, dealt with and, and handled, but he's going to have other guys. So he'll be busy with that, too, and I don't think necessarily it's going to be like, um, you know, he'll be latched on to, to Bryce and Arthur. Although, obviously, um, this year, you know, with the stuff about Arthur maybe transferring, you know, even though Arthur was in Miami, there was still some talk about him, and, there, you know, Brian Butler still made statements. I think that's the bigger issue, um, just kind of knowing that there might be a guy out there that wants to be a mouthpiece and wants to say things and, and make comments, um, you know, if somebody's not getting the playing time that they want back at USC. All right, well, we're here with Gerard Martinez, USCFootball.com recruiting analyst, and Bruce Feldman of ESPN.com, ESPN the magazine. Uh, we're going to get off Bryce Brown for a little bit. We don't want to give the whole, the whole show to him, although he is the number one player in the country. This was uh, last year, Alabama signed 30 kids. They oversigned. You can only sign 25. And, you know, there's some ways you can gray shirt guys or some guys don't make it academically. But 30 was kind of a big number, we thought. And then this year, Bruce, a program you were around a lot last year with Orgeron, Old Miss signs 38 guys, um, where consistently USC is signing 18, 20, 21 at the most each and every year. It's kind of, it's, it just seems very different the way they do things in other parts of the country. I just want to get your comments on, on what's going on with that. Uh, Houston Nutt, if he's going to do something, do it big, I guess. Uh, There were a lot of people who thought, as these numbers were starting to pile up, that he wasn't recruiting well in-state at all. Mississippi State, the best players ranked in there all seemed to be interested in Mississippi State. And Nutt had had been recruiting, you know, a lot out of state. And he went after Bobby Massey, and he got him. Now, he knew – I think that was the big surprise for him, the big offensive tackle from from Hargrave. But beyond that, some of these other guys, Raymond Cotton – Patrick Patterson, those are four-star guys, a receiver and a quarterback. You ask almost anybody down there, they were pretty sure they were going to Ole Miss. So it wasn't like it turned out to be a shocker that they landed all these guys. Now, what Houston Nutt, it will say is, well, a lot of these kids will end up in junior college. And then, you know, what what a lot of schools in the SEC will try to do is what's called a sign-in-place. Kid doesn't have a chance academically to get in. They will sign them, and then they will place them in a junior college, hope that the junior college – uh, coaches will protect them because obviously you place them at the junior college of your choice. You better that junior college program and that, that coach is going to be loyal to you. So he will not let anybody else recruit those players. And if those players turn out to be good players, then you can sign them two years from now. I mean, that's, that's the ideal thinking. If you're Houston nut, the stigma attached with it is not good. I mean, it's basically like you're, you're just throwing darts at a board and you're not really concerned about bringing in solid students. Cause a lot of times the kids who go there, you know, are struggling academically and their academic risks. And what's a little interesting here to me is just, I remember a couple of years ago being in old Mrs. War Room and Pete Boone, the athletic director, was adamant. He did not want Ogeron oversigning much, you know, and Ogeron's argument was he, you know, he doesn't get this. This is going to be, it all kind of works out. There may be a couple of kids who do not qualify. We can gray shirt a kid here or there, count another kid. I mean, the other thing is, even though the number may be, as much as they were going to look at at their number of 25, there were a couple of transfers they took. Jevin Sneed, who didn't, you know, technically wasn't listed on Rivals as like one of those 25, but he counts on your class if you get a kid who's a transfer in. Now with with that 38 number, I mean, there's going to be kids who are probably going to count towards next year. There'll be a couple he'll, he'll gray shirt, and I would imagine seven or eight of them just will never make it, and you may never hear from again. But, uh, 
you know, right now Houston Nutt is coming off a big year. They they were the team that upset Florida in Gainesville. They they beat Texas Tech in the Cotton Bowl. I think the guy can't do any wrong around Oxford. So I think they're giving him the grace period and say, hey, who cares if you oversign? We don't. We'll take our hits and and complain and people will take their shots on the blogs. We don't care. We're winning right now, and and that's all that really seems to matter at this point. Gerard, there are thirty eight guys. That's two classes for USC. What's what's going on differently? Like, what does USC not do, or you know, should they be doing something similar to that? I have no idea what Ole Miss is doing, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thirty eight guys. That's uh, that's uh, a lot more than USC. USC struggles to get to twenty. It seems every year. Um, but you know, Pete Carroll kind of likes to play to the end, and he likes to go after five star guys. And you get a five star guy, you don't get a five star guy. You have to have room uh, to be able to play there at the end of signing day. And uh, you know, they came up short with a couple guys. And this year, I mean, they still have one outstanding uh, signee, and that's uh, Chris Metcalf. And Chris Metcalf's got some some academic things he's got to sew up here. Um, you know, he he talked about taking some visits and looking around at some other schools. I can say this: if Chris Metcalf goes and takes official visits to other schools and is entertaining offers from other schools, he might end up going to other schools because I don't know if USC is all that confident with him. Um, he needs to definitely get focused on the books and and get his test scores up and, and really focus on that area instead of taking official visits after signing day. Well, um, well but, Gerard, you know, with that, if, if, having said that, he's a guy he hasn't signed yet, right? He's Metcalf has not signed his LOI because of there's some potential academic issues, correct? Correct. So, Bruce, like – I mean, these are 38 guys that signed letters of intent knowing that there's academic issues, right? Is that well, the- yeah, last year, I mean, last year Houston Nutt had talked about, you know, there's a lot of people who say he's been more selective. He's not taking the academic risks that Ogeron's staff did. And I don't buy that just because, I mean, one of the kids he signed last year, there was no chance he was going to qualify. I mean, he was a kid who academically was barely had over a 1.0 GPA. Now, he's a really good talent. But, you know, there are kids that you, you sign and it, it I hate to say it, but it's going to boost your rating, you know, on signing day, you sign some three or four star kid. But uh, you hope that they put them in an academic program in their second semester and then over the summer and they're taking online correspondence classes and that may give them a chance. And then maybe they'll get by the clearinghouse and then you get them. I mean, you're rolling the dice. And they've, you know, Ogeron did it to some extent. Houston Nutt clearly is doing it as well. Uh, there's a kid that they signed this year. He's another hard rip kid, Tig Barksdale, maybe the best player in the state of Mississippi last year, did not qualify. Had definitely some issues that people were, were probably concerned about. No doubt he's a big-time player. I mean, he was a four- or five-star guy. And he was another guy that I think they're hoping he can get on the field. Now, if he doesn't, He'll probably end up, he's a hard grade kid, he'll probably end up having to go to junior college. He'll go to Northwest Mississippi, which is a junior college that a lot of Ole Miss kids kind of end up at, um, or it's not far from Oxford, and he may end up there for two years, and if it works out, he'll he'll end up at Ole Miss. If it doesn't work out, he'll probably end up at like a West uh, North Alabama or a, a Division II school or something, and then hope he can get a shot in the NFL. But though, there are a lot of kids especially in the Deep South, you know, in SEC country, where you'll find the sign-in places, and, and sometimes it works out. And it's not, I mean, it's not very uncommon with those programs. You know, I don't think Vanderbilt does it, but, um, you know, in the SEC, there's it's pretty much across the board. You'll see it. And I'm not saying it's fair or unfair. That's just the way things are down there. So, Gerard, yeah, I guess that's what my point was. I mean, uh, Metcalf, 
if he's an academic, possible academic casualty, why isn't USC able to sign him and then, you know, do the same kind of thing? Ah, uh, you put me on the spot. If not, there's a complication there uh, with him um, in regards to his test scores. So it's not necessarily that USC feels like he's not going to qualify, so let's not sign him. It's a little more of a complication with his paperwork okay. at this point to where he can't sign a letter of intent. So it's, um, yeah, it's, it's a little different situation. And, and, you know, it's funny. I mean, USC does have guys that they do gamble on. I mean, they will. And it, but I think the standard or the level of guy, you know, talent-wise, it has to be very, very high. Uh, Vontis Burfick was a guy that USC was willing to gamble on. I mean, he's taken six BYU courses. He has a Novanet course. He's taken night school. And he's taking regular school. So that's a guy that's got everything stacked against him as far as qualifying. But he's so good that you've got to take a gamble on that guy. Uh, Patrick Hall's got some work to do in the classroom. But he's a five-star guy. He should get his stuff together. I mean, he's a smart kid. I think he just messed up early in high school. And, and that's kind of what you have to do. You have to kind of gauge is this a kid that's just been lazy and he's kind of just got to get his stuff together and he's going to have to take the extra course load but realizes now that that's what he's got to do to get into college or there are other issues there that we have to be careful of and he may really have no chance of qualifying. So with USC, there's definitely a lot more of, of gauging you know, what the situation is. I think that that's, that's one of the bigger issues that coaches have to deal with because there are a couple of examples that come to mind and the, uh, these were guys I remember – you know, from years back, Manny Wright obviously was a big-time recruited defensive lineman. Chauncey Washington, another guy. There were guys who struggled a lot here. And I'm not saying they were bad guys or anything like that. But just academically, they struggled. And you have to, as I'm, as these coaches do, they have to take into account, you know, how is this – Once if we get this guy into school, and there's a lot of them who can put in these programs and plans to help get guys eligible – once you get him in, is he going to be a guy who's going to struggle so much? It's just unfair to him. It's unfair to your staff, and it's unfair to everybody else around him that you know he's not going to be able to to really succeed here. I mean, it's it's a it's a delicate balance because you're talking about it, and I see it's like you roll the dice on certain kids. I mean, when it came back looking to Ole Miss, you know, basically a lot of these kids are called, and it's not just not just an SEC thing. They are considered at risk students. With Ole Miss, I remember realizing it came down to two kinds. You had the at-risk kid who did pretty well, had a decent GPA, and a really bad ACT score. Or you had the kid who had a pretty good ACT score, but a, but a borderline GPA. Well, it turned out the kid with the, the first, which was the low ACT, but the with the okay GPA, was your better bet. Because that kid did everything, you know, was on time for everything, showed up, you know, for his study sessions, paid attention, cared, was usually a pretty good kid in also your position meetings and different things, whereas the other kid who was just smart enough to get by all his life kind of took a lax attitude to everything, and that was the guy who was more of the headache. And I think what it comes back to is who do these coaches want to roll the dice on? And I think the accountability. And so if you get those kids who are going to be big at-risk kids – you know, you better feel comfortable that they're not going to be a, you know, a big headache for you. And, it, you know, you're not going to have to chase after them to everything. But also, they better be your best players, too. All right. We're going to move on to another topic. We're kind of going. This is pretty good. We're not going to take a break. We're going to do another double segment. So to everyone else out there, we won't have a break this segment. We'll just keep going through. Try to get as many questions in for Bruce and Gerard as we can. Uh, one of them came from our good friend Kyle on the message boards. He wanted to know for Bruce. Uh, get your thoughts on Lane Kiffin's initial recruiting efforts, and obviously he's clashed heads with, uh, you know, picking on the 
the biggest fish in the tank down there in the SEC picking on Urban Meyer a little bit. What do you think he's done overall down there so far? Well, I think he's stirred up the pot pretty big. And, uh, you know, a lot of things, I think some of the things that he has said, you know, you have to you just kind of like, it, it's stunning. You know, it's almost like he's saying things that in front of a microphone that you wouldn't expect people to say even, you know, barely behind closed doors. And he's saying them to groups of people, uh, calling out Urban Meyer, ethically on uh, was on one issue and then to just be wrong about the recruiting rule looks bad i think it opens you up to a lot of other a, a lot of a backlash and it's put all the spotlight on him you know every people are kidding themselves they don't think these secondary violations are going on at every school i mean you have it throughout the course of the year but now when it happens with tennessee it's become a big deal because because basically lane kiffin put it out there uh, you know, that to me, I think it's still a little bit of a red herring because people are like, oh, now in September, Urban Meyer is really going to put it on him. Urban Meyer is going to try to score 100 points on, on Tennessee anyway. So it's not like the fact that, oh, now now Meyer's really pissed off. It's going to mean anything. It's, I don't buy that at all. But he did. Re- I think he did recruit pretty well because he got two kids who were committed to committed to uh, to Florida. He beat LSU for Jans and Jackson, who was a five-star kid. I think the only five-star kid in Louisiana, LSU had ever lost was Joe McKnight until this kid. So this is the first time an SEC school has gotten a five-star guy out of Louisiana. Uh, so for that, I don't think they're going to get Bryce Brown. But just to do as well as they did, I think is is pretty surprising because they were behind on the class of 2010 when they took over, much less the 2009 class. So I think they're going to they're going to do pretty well there. It's just going to it's been rocky, and I think the key thing for him is he's got to identify a quarterback for next year and. And we'll see, but he better he better get them back in the top twenty five, you know, and, and beat somebody next year to to kind of cool people off because right now the heat on him is incredibly high. Gerard, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, I'm sure you're hearing stuff. There's still ties to USC, obviously, with Kiffin. What are you hearing about it? Well, I mean, he's out there and he's competing. And like uh, Bruce said, he's definitely stirring the pot. Uh, it's kind of it's kind of fun, you know, to see a guy that uh, was at USC and. Uh, had been at USC for a long time, kind of made his career at USC, and now see kind of what he can do in the SEC. The same thing was going on with Ergeron as a head coach. I think a lot of people feel like uh, position-wise, Kiffin has definitely got a little more of a head coach mentality. He's probably uh, able to handle that a little more. Um, Obviously, when he's got his staff together, it's a a pretty darn impressive staff. I mean, he has Ergeron there as a defensive line coach and as his recruiting coordinator, uh, from what I understand. And Monty Kiffin, his dad, who's a legendary defensive coordinator from the NFL, is there, and, and he comes in, and, and definitely you kind of get some credibility with that. So he's just going after it. And James and Jackson was, yeah, definitely a surprise. I mean, a lot of people thought that was a done deal for Louisiana State, uh, you know, uh, weeks ago. And he's always kind of been back and forth a little bit on uh, whether, you know, he was he was really solid, but it seemed like uh, he was kind of a done deal. And just, you know, basically after signing day uh, is when, I think it was the day after signing day, he was officially sent his letter of intent into Tennessee, and that was kind of shocking. I mean, a lot of people felt pretty good about Joe McKnight, and there was definitely, you know, a lot of feel from Joe McKnight going to USC. And I think people in the South probably just didn't, didn't believe that anybody would be able to get a five-star guy out of uh, Louisiana 
and USC did, but there was always kind of a little bit of uh, the telltale signs that, you know, eh, Joe McKnight wanted to get out of Louisiana. But with Jansen Jackson, that thing kind of came from nowhere and really shocked a lot of people. And, you know, they've got a really good shot at Orson Charles, too, tied in from uh, Tampa Bay. Uh, obviously, uh, you know, the, the Kiffins have a pretty good uh, a pretty good feel for what's going on in Tampa with Monty having been there for so many years. And uh, he's a, you know, a kind of an interesting tight end, kind of a 6'2", 230-pound kid that we actually rivals right now, rates as a rivals 100 receiver. Um, so that kind of shows you what kind of athleticism he has. So, you know, Kiffin uh, brought him in a couple weeks ago, really wowed him. He seems to be really interested in the program and kind of where they're going. He'll be officially visiting USC February tw- uh, 20th. Um, so that'll be kind of interesting. There'll be a little bit of a showdown again between uh, Pete and uh, and Lane, and see if they can get this kid, uh, you know, out of the South. All right. Uh, next question from Timmy Trojan, uh, Bruce. He actually quotes you in your book. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but it's basically well, the first quote, the first part of it. The more clout a head coach has, the greater chance of marginal students making it in. And you give a, an example about Notre Dame. They used to talk about not being able to get guys in, but that now Charlie Weiss can get a green light on a player that they might not be able to get into Clemson. And he, you know, he was, they were talking about losing Vontez perfect to Arizona state and academics definitely came up in that. He wanted to know, uh, Timmy wanted to know what are USC's admissions policies when you compare them to like an ASU or a UCLA or a Stanford or Notre Dame. And is it really that tough for Weiss to get top athletes or can he get exceptions? And where does USC fit into that whole hierarchy, I guess? Well, I think people need to separate two things with, what, what you're talking about admissions for a regular student as opposed to admissions for a football player or, or an athlete are very different. Uh, when it came to the, the Notre Dame example, there's one specific kid. Uh, he ap- actually happened to be the kid that was took an, uh, an official visit to Ole Miss, who's in, you know, who I detailed in the book. Um, and he's a defensive lineman who ended up at Notre Dame, has been very successful. But South, uh, Clemson was told they had to, by their admissions people, this is a guy you need to stop recruiting because there were a couple of kids that they did not think they could get in. And he's turned out to be, and he's a, he is a good kid, and, and uh, he's been a productive player for Notre Dame. But he, that's the specific example that, that came up there because it just it stunned me when I heard that. And he was a, he's an okay student for Ole Miss, you know, and obviously it's not, you know, it's not like they're, they're recruiting kids out of the Ivy League or Stanford. But um, – you know, so it surprised me. There were a couple of kids that I was fortunate enough to see the academic work of some of the things that were on people's recruiting boards, and it just surprised me to see some of the kids that ended up at certain schools that you'd hear of this kind of lip service about how tough it is. And I think what it was maybe for, you know, Notre Dame was easier and more manageable, I think, when Lou Holtz was there, and then I think it got harder, and then they started losing, and then it got easier again. And from what I understand, it's gotten easier for – for a little more manageable, let's say that, for Charlie Weiss than it probably was, you know, with Bob Davey. And I think that it is probably related to winning and losing. I know from talking to Ogeron a few years ago about at USC, he said when it comes to, you know, what they would have with USC, they would call them presidentials. And every, you know, they would have four or five kids that they would be able to get in who may have been marginal students. And the example that that um, your reader is using with Vontez Perfect, his recruitment, is, it was interesting to me in that, the guy who recruited him for Arizona State, Matt Lubick, had been an Ogeron guy at Ole Miss. They worked together. He had learned his kind of academic system. And basically, he I talked to Burfecht's high school coach and his mom last week about it. And basically, the big difference, they said, was ASU presented this plan of the courses they thought he should be taking that would help give him a chance to be eligible uh, five and a half months ago. 
and they they felt like they preached academics and did a lot better job. His mom said of selling on an uh, academically and showing details about what he needed to do more so than the other people who were recruiting him. And what it came down to was they said, and the high school coach even said this. He said, you know, we had three other guys who who signed with ASU last year. One of them was Ryan Bass who a lot of people would remember was probably a guy people did not think would qualify to get in. And then there were two linebackers also from Centennial High, where where Burfecht is from. And the high school coach said, you know, those kids actually did well academically there. He said they all had over 3.0 their first semester. And now they have, you know, they're in a place where the academic support, at least the attention to detail is there. And they sold them on it. And I think, you know, get back to your original question about, academically where do these schools fit in the the two that i've always heard are the hardest to get into for a football player in the pac-10 is stanford and then beneath that is ucla and then it's a lot of other schools in the mix because there are certain kids you know marshawn lynch was a big time recruit who had wanted to go to ucla they couldn't get him in he ended up at cal obviously had a great career that doesn't mean to make excuses for some of these other programs not to win but there are certain kids who for whatever reason cannot get into those those schools and that's not to mean that every school you know every player at a certain program is a is a bad student because there's you know there's probably 3.9 students at you know some schools in the sec and there's probably you know it's all relative but i think you know it is different at a stanford than it is at a mississippi or a mississippi state and it is different at at a duke than it is at at a school, let's say, you know, Kansas State. So I think it's it's hard because unless you have hard proof of or evidence of it, it's a lot of speculation and you'll hear about, uh, you know, like a lot of message board talk or coaches with, you know, who will have a little bit of the sour grape saying, oh, well, we never would have got that kid into school anyway. Well, there's examples probably on your team of kids who they rolled the dice on and they probably signed and he ended up at a junior college or you had to wait, you know, four months before they were able to get cleared and get on the field. It's just... You know, sometimes what it, what it really comes down to is the job of selling that those that the schools did or else it may just be as simple as, you know what, a certain program is not for every kid, the personality. Maybe that kid just wants to get away from home. Maybe he didn't see eye to eye with the pitch that his recruiting, you know, the recruiter gave him. You know, some kids just don't fit in at certain places. And, and that's OK, you know, I think. And, and I think the, all those factors are things people need to keep in mind. All right. It's great stuff. We're almost out of time. I want to try and get as many questions as I could. I know there's more that people posted. Um, there's kind of three that almost go together, and I'll, I'll throw these at you, Bruce. Um, since you do cruise the peristyle, do you, do you have some favorite topics of what you've seen on there? or What topics do you think gets, gets people going? And what impact do you think message boards have had on recruits uh, and their families? And do you think other college football reporters read like the peristyle stuff like, like you do? Uh, I think that uh, my first favorite topic is anything that involves like Trent Walker or something like that, (laughs) or, uh, or when, uh, some of the, some of the readers are getting, getting into it, Dan. But, uh, I think as a, just as a, somebody who covers college football, it's good to get a sense of what are fans talking about? What is their interest? You know, kind of the pulse of what's going on out there. I mean, at the very least, you know, you, you get a sense of the other side of things. And because a lot of people are really passionate about it, and I don't think it's a bad thing to check in. I mean, it's not like – I mean, I'll look at things, you know, all over the place just to, just to see what's out there. Uh, but, but as far as fans go, 
I get, uh, I think a lot of recruits do pay attention. You know, I had a kid in meat market, Steven Garcia, four or five star quarterback from Tampa, and he was getting recruited hard by South Carolina. The South Carolina fans showed him that they really, you know, couldn't wait to get him. Now, I mean, his dad was hoping he wouldn't get so sucked into, you know, the fanfare around his recruitment because he actually, these kids become commodities, you know, to a lot of people on message boards and a lot of hardcore fans. But kids buy in to see, you know, how passionate a place is or what the fan base is. I mean, you go on a visit and there's, you know, it's an empty stadium or you have nothing. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've read, and I'm sure you guys have seen, where some kid comes on in a visit and he goes, I can't believe everyone was chanting my name or they knew who I was. And, and you know, it, it would make a difference to us and we're, we're grown-ups if people are telling you how great you are. You think it doesn't make a difference to an 18-year-old when he comes on a visit and he's, first of all, he's being wooed by these celebrity coaches, but then on top of it, he's having fans, you know, and everyone else telling him how great he is and how why he should come there. I mean, that's heady stuff, and it's, it's, it's almost human nature to get swayed by it. Gerard, any comments on that before we go? Uh, yeah, it's uh, a little crazy. Um, I think that uh, the fans do have to realize that uh, they're kids and they do have influence over the process when they get on message boards and they spout off with crazy stuff. Um, I think it's definitely, you know, I, you just if you're not going to say it to somebody's face, you know, you should really think twice about saying it to them in person. Uh, it's kind of the way I think it should on the, be. On the message but, board, you mean, you know, yeah. Yeah. yeah, on the message yeah. boards. I mean, it's, uh, but, you know, they, they, they kind of come to message boards sometimes to vent, and the anonymity of, of kind of going on there and, and saying what they want to say is, is part of the reason they go there. But, uh, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that we have to kind of control because, um, you know, there are fans and there are, or I should say there are family members and there are kids that, that get on the message boards and, and read it. And uh, I think, uh, you know, it, it even came up this past uh, year with um, Byron Moore, and that whole process of him uh, committing USC, then decommitting from USC uh, just a few weeks before signing day. I mean, even his dad said, you know, it's kind of funny to see, you know, the fans kind of react to it and say that, you know, he didn't want to go to USC because of the data chart and because of Taylor Mays and because of all these other things. And, you know, it was basically reading message boards and seeing the reaction from the fans on message boards. And, um, they, you know, you just have to realize that uh, – there's a lot of influences in the process, and sometimes the fans, for better or for worse, um, have have a part in that. I, I just to follow up on that, something I, I was thinking about was I remember doing a story on recruiting about four or five years ago, and there was an ACC recruiting coordinator who's now working in the SEC who had, had told me that they really worry about message boards more than anything because it's almost like they need to have somebody on there to do damage control just to find out what might be out there. And it got me thinking that, you know, it wouldn't take much to have, let's say, you know, a Notre Dame or UCLA fan to come on your board and kind of establish themselves a little bit. And then all of a sudden to kind of create these negative threads. And who knows what, you know, somebody's brother or somebody's parents go on this message board and thinking these are the kind of fans we're dealing with. You know, I remember, you know, kids who were pretty, uh, pretty solid, you know, background kids would see these things and they're, you know, just it's the opposite of, you know, how much people love to tell them how great they are. If they see they're getting ripped for something, you know, it gives them hard feelings and it leaves a bad taste in their mouth about what this school is. I think we've seen that quite a bit, Gerard. <laughs> yeah, I think we have. I think there's, you know, uh, they like to call them trolls on message boards. And it's difficult because you don't, you know, you don't want to have an environment where it's all rah-rah and it's only positive. And, and the message board community is all about, you know, how great USC is and, oh, my God, we're the greatest team ever. But then at the same time, 
you don't want to have those type of elements in the board that people seem to have agendas and they seem to have a motivation towards bringing up negative topics all the time and it always seems to be kind of a negative spin on things so it's hard it's it's hard to to filter and really get a feel for what you know the motivation is behind certain posts that are negative and whether you're just turning away a, an honest customer or you're actually getting rid of a uh, you know, somebody who's been planted on your board to try to put out, uh, you know, a specific message or a specific thought on uh, recruiting process. Yeah, we're fighting those demons now a little bit. Now that uh, signing day's calmed down, we're going to shake that up to check back on the Peristyle. There'll be some new announcements and stuff coming up. Anyway, thank you guys that we went way over. It'll be about an hour and a 15-minute podcast, I think, or even a little longer than that. So sorry about that for a little bit bigger file, but it's going to be some great stuff. Uh, thanks to everyone that joined us. Harvey Hyde in the first segment. Gerard Martinez, Bruce Feldman. Now, thank you guys for joining us. Thanks for having us. Thank you. All right, and everyone else, it was our year anniversary show. Hope you enjoyed it. Check out peristylepodcast.com. That's where we put it up, the shows each and every week, each and every Wednesday. We'll be back next week with more on USC football and recruiting. Stay tuned. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 